Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin Volume 2 of Dr. John's study in 1 Timothy called Living the Truth. So turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Doctrines of Demons. Timothy chapters 1 to 3, well, they're chapters that are meant to convince us of the importance of the church of Jesus. I mean, the main point of the entire book of 1 Timothy is to inform readers that the church of Jesus is the pillar and buttress of truth in the world. The church as a whole and every local church, because it has been entrusted with the saving truth of Jesus, is to make sure this truth is not suppressed, but rather trumpeted in the world. The church must declare Jesus. No one else can. You know, think of it in terms of an analogy. The press, at least in better times, thought of itself as a proclaimer of truth. You know, a government in the world may wish to carry on an evil plan of persecuting and destroying people's lives, you know, in a bid to hold on to power. But courageous members of the media believe it's their job to expose the truth. You know, let people know what's really happening. Now, Don't write me letters about, you know, the bias in the media. I know. But if the media were given to objectivity, they would think that their job is not to manufacture a story in keeping with their political viewpoint, but rather to uncover the truth of what's happening in government, in science, in industry, and any of a number of fields of human endeavor. And of course, it just can't be negative if it's the truth. Sometimes wonderful things that human beings are doing but are not noticed, need to be uncovered. The truth needs to be told. And so if the media functions properly, its job is to make sure that truth can't be covered up. Now, of course, the media knows nothing about the truth of God. Neither do secular governments or universities, or for that matter, any other agency in the world except for the Church of Jesus Christ. To the church and the church alone has been entrusted the glad news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that he, in obedience to the Father, suffered and died for the sins of the world so that all who abandon their own sin and believe in the Son have eternal life. The church is the beacon of this saving truth to the whole world. If we take that image and combine it with the image that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 16, 18, you know, that the gates of hell would be unable to prevent this truth from being told. The gates of hell wouldn't be able to prevent God's people from rescuing some of the evil one's captives. Rather, some would be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 declares that the church is a pillar and buttress of truth, and then the book tells us we're to learn how to behave in the household of God. See, if the local church is in disarray, people won't hear. If the church is either inward focused or if it misunderstands how the law of God functions and becomes works focused rather than grace focused, if her leadership becomes ensnared in false teaching, if the church no longer prays for all people or if she chooses unworthy leaders, I mean, all of that will serve to blunt and make ineffective her witness in the world. Now, what I've done is given a basic overview of the first three chapters of 1 Timothy. The last three chapters of 1 Timothy carry on with that same theme. I mean, first of all, says Paul, 
Timothy, who is giving leadership in the church in Ephesus, should beware of the prevalence of false teaching. Second, Timothy will have to lead in such a way as to inspire good behavior. And then, as we move to the last two chapters of the book, Paul will leave Timothy instructions about everything from the work habits of believers. I mean, believers are not to be lazy, but they are to exemplify work and good citizenship. And of course, there'll be other things about good behavior, like the care of and the treatment of widows. And that's what we look forward to in the last three chapters of 1 Timothy. They will complete the picture of good behavior in the church so that nothing but nothing will hinder our witness to the world. So let's start, shall we? I'll read 1 Timothy 4, 1-2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And so we see here an important threat to the witness of the church. It's false teaching. Paul begins this section with the words, the Spirit expressly says, meaning that the Spirit has spoken quite explicitly and in a detailed manner about this very thing. The church needs to be forewarned because a great storm is coming, and they need to get ready for what lies ahead. And think about it like those parts of the world that have hurricanes. When you know one's coming, you should know what to do. In the same way, a hurricane of false teaching is coming, and the church needs to be ready. But as we read these verses that the Holy Spirit has been speaking explicitly about the matter of false teaching, well, we might ask, to whom has the Holy Spirit been saying these things? And of course, the answer must be that Paul is telling Timothy that Paul as an apostle has heard the Holy Spirit speaking to him. As the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write scripture, and in the process of that writing, the Holy Spirit has been urging Paul, let me show you what to write in days to come. There is a great storm coming. Now, you might want to go back to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Paul is there heading to Jerusalem. He stops at a place called Miletus, and from there he calls the Ephesian elders to journey out to where he is. Remember, as we read 1 Timothy, you know, Timothy is in Ephesus, where Paul has sent him. Timothy is to go to Ephesus and to stop some of the elders from teaching false doctrine. But years before that event, and that's why we have this section in Acts, Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders and listen to what he says. Luke records it in Acts 20, 29 to 30. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves men will arise, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So even way back then, before Paul was in prison, the Holy Spirit had already been communicating with him that some of the Ephesian elders would teach false doctrines. And then by the time Paul writes 1 Timothy, it's already happening. But now the Holy Spirit's speaking to Paul again. What had happened in Ephesus, it's going to happen everywhere. So when will it happen? And the answer is, in the later times. You know, again, we're forced to stop here and ask, what does the Holy Spirit mean when he mentions the later times? Now, the first thing we should notice is that the phrase, the later times, is not the same phrase as the phrase, the last days, 
or the last hour. And I point that out because Christian theologians rightly point out that from the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit until the second coming of Jesus, that's the time period that's rightly called the last days. That is to say, right now we're living in the last days and have been doing so for the last 2,000 years. We are living in the last epoch of human history. The next great event is Christ's second coming, and with that, the consummation of all things. However, having said that, we might also notice that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there we find out that right before Christ's second coming, the man of lawlessness is revealed, and this will be a time when the Antichrist will do miracles, he will bring deception, the Bible calls it a strong delusion so that many people will not believe the truth. Now, that time period is the final period of evil right before the second coming. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the latter times that Paul is speaking of here is not the same as the last hour in 2 Thessalonians. Rather, the later times refers to the entire time period from Christ's resurrection until the second coming. And that's to say, the entire period of church history is going to be one where there are frequent events time after time when false teaching occurs. And on top of that, many depart from the faith. Now, hang in there with me because I'm going to make reference to the times we're living in right now. But before I do, let's notice the three groups of people involved in this apostasy, this falling away from the faith. The first group are the victims or the people that are actually falling away. Those aren't the false teachers. Rather, they're the people who begin to believe the false teaching and consequently, they're led astray. If there's any word of warning for this group of people, it's this. Learn the truth. Get to know your Bible. After all, a great storm is coming. The second group are the demons who are inspiring false doctrines. And yeah, you heard me right. False doctrines are not the product of people simply seeing things differently. Nothing so benign is going on. Rather, right now, demons are actively involved in thinking up and laying out false teaching. And the final and third group are the human agents, the people who are instructed by demons and teach the false doctrines. Paul says, Timothy, I need to tell you this so you can tell the church the Holy Spirit has been speaking explicitly on this matter and you need to listen. We today, we need to listen too. Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld focus on the use of expositional teaching of the Bible, a verse-by-verse, in-depth discovery of Scripture, allowing the Word of God to speak for itself, understanding its context, eternal relevance for today, tomorrow, and for the life of every believer. Sarah wrote to say, I so appreciate this teaching by Dr. John Newfeld. This message has come at a very important time. I am grateful for the wisdom and insight. And we're grateful for all of our listeners, but also that God's timing is perfect and that the Word of God taught faithfully speaks directly into the life of every believer. And don't forget this month that Dr. John's newest book, Heaven and Hell, is being made available for free simply for the asking. So call us today to request your copy or to make a ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's look again at the first part of verse 1. 
Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. Now, think about what we already know about that topic from Scripture. So let's start with the time of Jesus. At one point in time, the teachings of Jesus became so difficult, so hard to obey, that John 6, verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples or his followers turned back and no longer walked with him. That is, they were intent on obeying and believing Jesus until he said something that offended them. And yeah, that still happens today. I'm going to follow Jesus, but if he says something about sexuality or about forgiveness of my enemies, about being willing to abandon everything to follow him, well, if he says that, I won't follow anymore. Now, you might also remember that at that time, Jesus asked the twelve what they intended to do. And you might also remember that Peter said, Lord, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then you might also remember that Judas, at the time of the crucifixion, when things were getting especially rough, betrayed Jesus for money. Or you might remember what Paul would say, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. He said, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So what has the Holy Spirit revealed, not just to Paul, but also to us? It's this. There will be times when people will abandon the pathway to eternal life. They'll wander away from the faith. And we might think of the warnings of that matter found in both Hebrews chapter 6 and in chapter 10. You know, they include warnings like, if we deliberately keep on sinning. Or we might think of Jesus' parable of the four soils in which, in some cases, the seed seems to penetrate the soil, but after some time it withers and dies. See, there are times when this falling away from Christ becomes so pronounced when it seems that the Christian faith is in full retreat because of the number of people who abandon Jesus. So how can that happen? Now, this is all true, but notice in verse 1, Paul is very specific as to the kind of apostasy he's speaking of. I hope you saw it in the text. It says, some will depart from the faith. Now, whenever we find the word faith, used as a noun rather than a verb, we know that it refers to the sum total of Christian belief or Christian doctrine. We might think of it in terms of Jude verse 3. Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So notice how Jude uses the noun faith. It is that which is once for all delivered to the saints. That is, it's an unchanging corpus of Christian truth. I hope you heard the word unchanging. It is that which God has once for all set down as his abiding truth. Regardless of the time period in which you live, this is always the truth. This will include the Christian doctrine of God, of creation, the fall into sin, universal sinfulness, the two natures of Jesus, fully human, fully divine, who, without sin, took upon himself the sins of the world, was crucified as a substitute for us, rose from the dead, is coming again, and who offers forgiveness to all who truly repent and who, in faith, surrender their lives to him. We're saved by grace through faith alone. There are, says Jude, central doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, notice when Paul says, the Spirit expressly says... He means that there will be some who hold to these Christian truths, but later on no longer do so. And putting this now into the context of our day, 
let me speak as a place to start of liberal theology. You know, the old liberals at the beginning of the 20th century, well, they were greatly influenced by the Enlightenment or the Age of Reason. They had come to believe that it was no longer possible for thinking Christians to believe in miracles. And so they thought if they were to save Christianity in the scientific age, well, it would be necessary to construct a new kind of Christianity that no longer was dependent on miracles or stories of the resurrection from the dead or walking on water or multiplying loaves and fish and so forth. Now, already we notice the deceit. They believed they needed to save Christianity. They didn't believe that Christ needed to save them. For them, it was really the other way around. And so they thought and taught it became necessary to take a new, more intellectual approach to the Bible. They thought they needed a new understanding of Jesus, one who never did miracles, and a new understanding of the Bible as you know a historical document filled with errors and myths, and a new understanding of the gospel, not a salvation from sin on the basis of Christ's work on the cross, but rather a religion that sought to feed the hungry, fight for social justice, and work for a better future. Gone were the thoughts of heaven, and in its place were the thoughts of how the heart of the Christian message could be transformed into a message about social justice. In the end, the liberals still called themselves Christians and even thought of themselves as followers of Jesus. They said they were demythologizing Jesus, and now they were presenting the real Jesus, Jesus the social reformer. But they had already departed from the faith. You see, they no longer believed the truths Jude spoke of, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Instead, the faith became for them an ever-evolving set of beliefs, never something that was always true. And of course, the results became all too painfully clear. The major mainline denominations in both Europe and North America bought into this. And we've all seen the consequences. People have fallen from the faith by the thousands and even the millions. The mainline denominations began to shrink. People no longer went to church. And the number of people claiming to be Christians continued to shrink every year, every decade. Now, if we look at, you know, the pollsters who claim to know how many people claim to be Christians, well, that didn't really tell the story at all. See, truth be told, long before people stopped going to the mainline churches, the mainline churches, their professors and pastors, they had already departed from the faith or departed from the one truth once for all delivered to the saints. The apostasy happened as people abandoned the faith, not as they stopped going to church. This has been the story of the 20th century. And now in the 21st century, the dried out hulks of these churches where no one goes anymore is a testimony to what's happened. Now then, let's get back to our text in 1 Timothy. The Holy Spirit has revealed to Paul that in future days, some will depart from the faith. And then he tells us the second group, the greater reality behind this departure from the faith. He says that the ones who do this are devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Notice the first, Paul speaks about deceitful spirits or deceiving spirits. There are some who think that the deceiving spirits actually refer to, you know, human false teachers, but that's a very unlikely interpretation of that text. Rather, the idea of spirits that deceive, that's the idea of demons who are hard at work in misleading the false teachers. That is, behind the false teachers is the reality of an unseen demonic realm 
that is working overtime to confuse them, setting them on the pathway of deception. Are there biblical examples of that? Oh yeah, there are. You know, for one, we might think of John 8, 44, where Jesus called the Jewish religious leaders, he says, you're of your father, the devil. Or we might think of 1 John 4, 1 to 6, where John warns believers not to believe every spirit and then gives us doctrinal grounds to check what the spirits say. So think about that for a moment. Some of you are going to be surprised by this. Do demons actually teach human beings doctrines? And the answer is, oh yes, they do. Are false teachers in league with the demonic? Oh yes, they are. Sometimes unknowingly and sometimes knowingly. But demonic beings work hard to subvert pastors and Bible teachers and Bible college and seminary professors. They work to help them to abandon the faith, listen to the doctrines of demons, and then to use their influence to lead many astray. Indeed, the demons are delighted when those who have abandoned the true faith remain in the ministry so that they can infect ever more people. Now, tomorrow, we're going to have a great deal more to say about the immediate threat in Paul's day. It had everything to do with something we'll call asceticism, and we're going to talk about that. But that's but one form in which false teaching takes. So what's the answer to the dilemma? Demons are presently at work to teach leaders in the Christian community and to teach false doctrines so that the church will lose her mission and no longer proclaim Jesus. Is there an answer to the dilemma? Yes, there is. We need to know how to behave in the household of God and to remain firm in the truths of the teachings of Scripture. Thanks for your message today, John. You know, we've discussed this often, but tell me why is it that you're so concerned about liberal theology? I'm concerned because it has led many people astray. And wherever it goes, it is a halfway house out of the church. Uh, and even if it isn't for the people who adopt it, it is surely for their children. And so uh, I recognize that it denies biblical authority and therefore denies the basis upon which our faith stands. And, and so it also robs the hope of salvation from people. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Living the Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. For many, the most misunderstood truths of the Bible revolve around the reality of heaven and hell. Misshapen by popular culture and misinformation, many Christians fail to have a true understanding of eternity. In response, Dr. John Newfeld and Back to the Bible Canada present a new book, Heaven and Hell. As we believe the truth about eternity is so critical, for the month of November only, this important book is now available for free as our gift. Bruce Ware, professor of Christian theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote about the book, it is arguable that nothing in this life now matters more than knowing what happens then. Although this book is relatively short, it is packed. Readers will find excellent biblical exposition and incisive analysis that will inform their minds and inflame their hearts. 
To request your copy of Heaven and Hell today or to send a gift to support the Bible teaching ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.